All right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast, episode 45. I'm Ryan, and I'm joined by some other nerds, Christina. Hello! And Carissa. Hello! Together, we take on the week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go read your week's books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Batman number five. Our companion song for Batman number five is David Bowie's Heroes, because the song has a line in it, we can be heroes if only for one day, and that is kind of a very central point to to Batman that we're going to get to. So I felt that the song was very fitting. Plus, it's David Bowie. You just can't go wrong with Bowie. So I agree. Have you heard the version of Heroes that plays in Stranger Things? I just started watching Stranger Things oh. two nights ago. And yes, I did hear it after I made my choice. So good. Oh, it's a great show. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yes. <laughs> comic podcast break. Go watch that show. It's awesome. Yes. Plus you will get lots of comic book references to X-Men, D&D, and all the things we love. They reference the issue with the Dark Phoenix and Jean Grey. Yep, that's the one he's going to take from him. So, Batman number five from DC Comics. I am Gotham part five. Written by Tom King, pencils by David Finch, inks by David Finch, Sandra Hope, Matt Banning, and Scott Hanna. Colors by Jordi Belair. So this one is a book basically about sacrifice and what it really means to be a hero and kind of the nature of what fear and courage really are. It also had some just amazing scenes in this book. When I was reading the books trying to pick which ones to read... This was the first one I read because I I couldn't wait to get to it. And it was the only book I read before I chose my pick of the week because this was, in my opinion, a damn near perfect comic book. It has everything that Ryan wants in a comic book. I actually was reading this and there are two scenes where I swore loudly enough that the kids sitting in the park looked over at me and I felt kind of bad. They were worth it. So this one kind of opens up with a scene of Alfred. Actually, I didn't realize at first it was Alfred. The mustache didn't fill you in. (laughs) Well, actually, it opens up with Gotham kind of landing in the middle of their version of Times Square and telling everyone to run, which seemed kind of weird to me. If he was out to kill everybody, why would he tell them to run? But whatever, he tells them to run. And you have this voiceover Batman saying that, you know, he's on his way to stop Gotham, but he's not going to get there in time. So that's when it cuts to Alfred in the Batmobile, putting on basically the bat suit and having an imaginary conversation with Thomas Wayne, telling him how watching young Bruce, if something ridiculous and stupid like him dying should happen, how it won't be a chore at all. They'll just read books and play board games and have, you know, quiet nights in. And the most exciting thing they'll do is go to like a charity ball. And that's when you see this really kind of cool scene with the Batmobile like speeding down the street while he's saying all this. And you can see in the corner, like how fast the Batmobile is going. There's like increasing in speed. And they do these really cool things with perspective where you can see Gotham you know, standing there off in the distance and getting closer and closer as the speed increases until finally Alfred slams the Batmobile into him. I actually liked the page where it was like the speed, like increasing, increasing, increasing. That I thought that was kind of, that was pretty fun. I enjoyed that. 
he didn't just jump right to it, that he kind of built and steps out, you know, as his pencil-thin butler with his bat costume, which basically kind of looks like a uh, Halloween costume on him because it doesn't fit him at all. To me, it was very interesting. I know you really like Alfred, so I was kind of thinking you might... I didn't know if you would love that or hate that, but uh, I thought it was pretty awesome. See, I was so nervous that something bad was going to happen to Alfred. I'm like, no! <laughs> well, and the idea, too, of him getting there is not only to, like, ram, you know, Gotham with that car, but also to reassure everyone that Batman is there. Because yeah. he gets out of the car and he's like, don't worry, Gotham, Batman is here. <laughs> and then Gotham kind of looks at him and is like, you're not Batman. <laughs> and that's when the actual Batman shows up and Alfred kind of says like, oh, thank God, and like runs away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because he doesn't want to fight this guy. Yeah, I actually like the little panel of him running away. <laughs> yeah. Bruce is basically telling him they need to talk while inflicting some pretty serious damage on him. He's throwing batterings into him that turn out to be explosive batterings that he sets off and he keeps telling him that they need to talk. Gotham is having none of it. He keeps saying that Batman is just a man in a mask. What is that when you compare it to the hell that is Gotham? And then you get Gotham Girl, who's in the Batcave with Duke, kind of watching all this happen, and she's saying how she's terrified, she's afraid, which is a central theme to these last couple issues has been people being affected by the psychopirate and being afraid. And that becomes really relevant later when kind of you see what heroism really is. I mean, Batman's been saying it over and over again that it's okay to be afraid, that fear gives you the opportunity to be brave, that without fear there is no bravery, and that comes in to be very relevant later on. They're fighting, and this is the part where I swore in front of all the kids at the park when I was reading this, where they're fighting and, you know, Batman pulls out his little grappling gun and Gotham's like, what are you going to do? Like, shoot me with a rope? That's not going to do anything. And then Batman's like, no, I'm going to crash a plane into you. And he fires the grappling hook up at the plane and uses that to pull it back down into Gotham, which I thought was really cool because we've had planes in this. The opening issue was Gotham with a plane. Yeah. And this final issue also has the plane as well, which I thought was a nice tying that full circle there. And the explosion is epic that uh, wipes, the, uh, you know, their version of Times Square. And that's where you see Batman, like, up on a billboard, kind of looking at the wreckage and telling Alfred to make the call. And Alfred is like, are you sure? We've we've never done this in Gotham before. And he kind of sees Gotham, you know, crawling out of the wreckage. He's like, yes, I'm sure. And at first, I wasn't sure what that was, what they were calling. But you'll find out later in the issue what it is that Batman is calling that he's never called into Gotham before. So you get more between Duke and Gotham Girl with her being very afraid and, you know, Duke comforting her. And then you get the moment where having like their final showdown moments where they're both like saying goodbye to each other. And that's why I actually had to read these panels a couple times to figure out what happened because I was, I think, as surprised as Gotham was when it happened. So you get him getting ready to like shoot Batman with like his laser vision and there's this streak that comes in and knocks him down. He shoots at Batman, but there's this green shield in front of Batman. And you're like, what the hell just happened? And then it cuts to a really, really great picture of the Justice League there fighting Gotham. That was probably one of the best images. Got uh, Superman kind of holding Gotham, telling him that, you know, we're Batman's friends and we'd like very much if you just surrendered right now, which of course Gotham is not going to do. And he starts taking on the entire Justice League and beating the living shit out of all of them, including Superman, which was pretty amazing. (laughs) And actually there's a, a scene where like the Flash is trying to run up to him and he's able to react faster than the Flash and like backhand him and Green Lantern's shooting stuff at him and he's breaking the Green Lantern projections that they're making. So he's really going to town on them. And Batman tells Duke that he's figured out that Gotham is as strong as he needs to be, that he was strong enough to pick out the plane, 
but then there were other times where the situation didn't require that and he wasn't as fast or as strong. So it seems like he adapts to whatever the threat that he's facing. So he needs to know how to stop him because no matter what force he brings in, Gotham's just going to be able to, to equal or exceed it. So that's where you see what I was talking about with the kind of the meaning of what it means to be a hero. So Batman realizes that he cannot defeat Gotham. So he tells him that you hold all these things against Gotham, that it was it was weak. It wasn't able to protect your parents. They died because of Gotham. He tells him that that's not true, that it's because he was weak, that he is Gotham. And if you want to kill Gotham, kill me. Batman making his kind of his last stand and be willing to to lay it all on the line for his city. So I thought that was kind of cool. And that's where you see Gotham Girl kind of like running out of the cave, even though she's terrified and goes to confront her brother. I still do not like the Gotham character. Actually, the Gotham Girl character, I think, is warmed up a little bit because she kind of understands what she needs to do. And she tells him that they weren't born with their powers. They weren't exposed to an accident or anything like that, the way you would normally get your superpowers. They went somewhere and they paid because they're just as rich as Batman was. They paid to have these things done to them, but they didn't get, I like this line where they talk about it wasn't powers for life. It was life for powers that they used their lifespan to power their stuff, that they could be normal for several decades. They could be at the level that they were at power-wise for about two years, or they could be like a god for a few hours, which is clearly what Gotham is doing when he's fighting the whole Justice League by himself. So she comes in and she's kind of fighting him in the sky. And I don't know if she actually kills him or if she just burns basically his battery out. Uh, Gotham dies and crashes down into a crater. And then you get this really, I'm not going to actually ruin the voiceover at the end, the narration because it is very to me very shocking and something you should read for yourself and i also thought points in new directions for batman that i did not see coming so i freaking loved this book and in every way that i can love a book the tone works i mean it's batman the tone works and similar because he also writes the vision the tone there is also well it's darker i think but it works very very well for those characters so he's he's a good fit good point i had to reread that voiceover a few times there's a lot of information in there interesting way to end a book with that last line you're like what (laughs) yeah definite cliffhanger makes you want to read more yeah it was interesting i like seeing the justice league get beat up i thought that was interesting (laughs) (laughs) and i just like alfred saying oh he won't put the suit on again i'll need a substantial raise yeah alfred dressed up as batman it was pretty spectacular it's one of those few dc comics where mike i think they did a really good job it it didn't have any unneeded stuff in it i do like batman so you know it's a little bit easier for me this series this particular arc has been lots of good alfred so i've been really liking it (laughs) you've been pro alfred yeah i just i really like the way that tom king writes batman i really enjoy his his kind of worldview about chaos and madness and what you can do and can't do about it so i i liked it I do like Gotham's and Gotham Girls' um, costumes. I think I like the color combination. Jordi Belair, right? I mean, mm-hmm. guys and eyes are winner, and I think the best in the business, for sure. I was surprised that I liked, but you know how I feel about DC books in general. Batman is good, but it's all the other characters that I don't particularly care for. They're warming up on me. I don't particularly care for the name of Gotham Girl. That just seems like we're just Supergirl, all the other... right. Like, she seems to be a woman in her mid to late 20s. I don't think she's a girl. Girl anymore. I don't know. Just, can we get something other than man and girl for some of their character names? Like, every <laughs> character. <laughs> I give this five bat planes. I gave it four and three quarters. Alfred in the bat suit. <laughs> Pencil thin mustache Batman. 
chicken legs running away, Batman. <laughs> they need to make an action figure for that. Very proper British Batman. I surprisingly did not hate it. I actually somewhat enjoyed it. I will give it three and a half Alfred pencil thin mustaches. <laughs> Alfred was pretty awesome. <laughs> Trying to be stand in for the Batman for the like 30 seconds of Batman was going to be late. Alfred is a badass. He's stepped up so many times in so many different series of comics. He is still a badass. He's an old man and he's a badass. So you're taking us away from the dark streets of Gotham to somewhere a little happier. Yeah. Or maybe just as hellish, junior high. <laughs> it is the Backstagers number one, Boombox, written by James Tinian the Fourth. Yes. And art by Ryan Sig. Sig, I'm um, not sure. Colors by Walter Baimonte. First of all, I think the artwork looks very Steven Universe. It's very Steven Universe. So just putting that out there now. It looks a lot like Steven Universe. And I like Steven Universe, but I'm just, I was surprised how shockingly, yes, like, it does. from the same universe or something it could be. Yeah. Lumberjanes, it looks like that too. Like, it looks like all of that kind of kid stuff. I wouldn't necessarily, this is for boys though? It seems more like a girl story with boys. Um... I think it's for a certain type of boy. It's for the kid who would be in drama or music or something like that. Starts with a kid starting school, and he's actually hiding out in bushes, and he's on the phone with a parent, basically them saying that he needs to get involved in something. And he's like, I'll start my own club in the bushes. And they're saying, no, go do something. So they show up, and he's going to try, it looks like, drama club. And he gets there, and there's a bunch of, well, typical, stereotypical drama students and in particular i think they're twins or if not they're just brothers i think they're twins they're very showy they remind me kind of like the twins in urin if you ever read that manga i assure you i did not <laughs> you have not but i'm talking i was more speaking to our listeners or they're very flamboyant and full of themselves and very showy and dramatic you know they basically talk down to him and tell him that he needs to go into the back and get something so he goes back there and like this big, it's like a maze, adventures ensue, and he runs into stagehands that work in drama. So all the people who do the lights and the sound and the props and The unappreciated. Yeah, the set builders. And then there's like the cute little one who befriends like a rat looking creature. It was cute. I like the little monster rat things. Those were adorable. The ones with like the four eyes. Those were cute. And then they go down to like the depths and I love the line where, are you sure this all fits under the high school? Do they know this is down here? <laughs> and they're like, no, we don't think so. And so they found like this horde of rats. They're, they're called tool rats, yeah. But they're weird looking creatures and they eventually, they've been multiplying as rodents are want to do. The new kid discovers that they're drawn to red and so he runs away because they built like a cage to try to catch them and it wasn't working. They were getting destroyed. This little group of miscreants trying to catch them all. And he runs, he finds paint buckets and he throws it in there and he they capture them. Finds what he was sent to go there to get. He goes back out and they insult him with what he brought and everything like that. The main character realizes that the guys down in the back are better people than the ones in the drama club. So he decides he's going to basically join the backstagers, as it were, which are still part of the drama club, technically. They're definitely the underclass here. They're literally, like, shoved into this basement maze thing. But they have a cool hangout room, which is, if you ever were in drama club, that room exists. Like, I know that room. And it was there, and it was drawn well. So I think if you 
like stories about outcasts and like high school era coming of age kind of thing this will be a book for you i think if you were ever in drama club or theater or involved in that you can definitely relate to a lot of the least the character archetypes in here yes and it looks like a really cute book and i actually want to keep reading it see where it goes with it i also like again i really like the artwork because it's very steven universe like so what did you think so i can see this being a good book for kids i can see also if you're like the awkward young kid in high school like you're a freshman and you don't have a lot of friends like it seems like this is kind of one of those things where a kid moves to somewhere else and doesn't know anybody and so it's kind of like finding friends so it's and it's hard at that age to do that I think this is kind of a cute introduction to making new friends and being part of drama and possibly fighting monsters (laughs) I think it's a really good example of what they're trying to do with their boombox imprint from boom because they're trying to do a line of younger kids books that are positive you know that aren't necessarily violent or anything like that so i think that this if you have younger kids i think this would be a great addition for it if they're the kind of kid that is interested in comics or drama or musicals or you know anything that is you know creative and kind of nerdy little nerds in training they're gonna like this book i identified with the way that these i mean i wasn't in drama but i identified with the a lot of the ways that these kids felt so I thought it was it was all right. The artwork, I'm not a big fan of this artwork, but I think if you're a kid, that this artwork is more common now than when I was younger. So you probably as a kid will not think it looks weird. You'll probably think it looks just like all the shows you watch on TV. I think if you're a fan of Scott Pilgrim, this also kind of has that vibe. A little skewed younger than Scott Pilgrim. It definitely shows you what Boombox is going to be. So if you like this, I mean, it reminds me a little bit, maybe like Lumberjane. Not for me, I think, but not bad either. I wouldn't think that it would be for you but I definitely wanted to pick something that was new and I actually have some friends who were posting about this when they saw it and they knew nothing about it so I definitely wanted to cover it for them and being someone who hung out in Dave Matroni's room hi thanks drama teacher (laughs) this was definitely a nice throwback to that I gave it four I really did enjoy it for its first book it's a good interest I love saying James Tinian the fourth I think he has a cool name he's up there with Von Graubadger (laughs) and Guy Major power team can you three do a book together that would be great (laughs) for red paint I guess I will give it two and a half bishops tiaras so if i was probably like a 12 year old boy (laughs) i would think that i would love this because i can see the people who watch like the shows like the steven universe and then probably like this i'd probably give it like three and three quarters wicked and divine issue number 22 image comics necessity written by karen gillen art by jamie kelvey colors by matthew wilson all of the comics if we've been reading recently are varying degrees of violence this is like battle worlds with gods which is just destructive yes <laughs> insanely destructive well it's pretty visually amazing too it's beautiful like if war was to be beautiful this is beautiful the colors are great we've got the freaking valkyrie battle bot which is just fucking gorgeous i lo- <laughs> total anime pink power ranger type so freaking awesome and we have the line that Cassandra drops. Her, she has the best lines. In oh this. yes! It depresses me to know that somewhere, <laughs> someone somewhere is wanking over this, and it's the battle bot. It's so good. It's true. There's a giant mech fighting a tentacle monster, and they're right. You know, the lines are so fucking hilarious. Her lines are, are fantastic. To this, there's another really good one. I mean, think fuck was another one, but just a whole bunch of crazy ass shit. This is a battle. So they all now fully understand what Anki is. She is like. She is the one who basically puts them in check and kills 
when necessary is what it seems like. We yeah. have them coming together and understanding we need to either do something or not do something. Basically, they're going to kill Minerva, which I don't understand why. Minerva seems like she's the good one. She's pretty pure. She's a child. My guess is because she's supposed to be like wisdom. Yeah. She will figure it out and lead them, the rest of them. Yes. But if you've got a secret plan, you probably want to take out the, the smart, uh, smart wisest, <laughs> smartest person. Yeah. Take out the smart kid. Take out the smart kid. <laughs> Leave the dumb drug addicts, you know, to burn out in two years. And exactly. Because be all of them, what's the cat chick? Sekhmet. Sekhmet. I mean, she's obviously a fucking loose cannon, crazy as shit. They really tie her cat-like. Obviously, she's supposed to be a cat yes. goddess, but she gives so many looks and things where you're just like, yep, that's a cat. <laughs> you know? I'm going to love you, but then I'm going to scratch your face. And I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to listen to you. I love that she gets zapped by Ball because he's like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> She gives that, you know, a big speech. They're like, why did you come to me when she's talking to the Morgan? She's like, because you're the grown-up. And you're like, oh, that's right. These are all just teenagers. And she's like, okay, I have to be the grown-up, which I thought was hilarious. And then so she's giving this big, that big speech about how they all need to basically stop fighting each other. Yeah. The answer is like, right behind that door. Let's just go look. And then there's that great, like, little exchange between uh, Sekhmet and Ball where they're just kind of, like, looking at mm-hmm. each other. That's what I'm talking about, that look that's, like, oh. a little look like a cat Oh, yeah, it's that little, face, like, like hee-hee, ha-ha. Giggle. If you've ever seen a cat sitting on maybe your uh, table or something with oh, like a glass, just yes. like tapping it, you know, and you look over at it like, stop doing that. And it kind of looks at you and then just does that final exactly tap. Exactly that move. That's the look oh, on her exactly face. exactly that move. Yeah. She's like, hee hee, tap. The climax of this is pretty fantastic where you have Persephone who they're trying to talk her down. They're like, no, you can't kill Anki. You can't kill her. But then she kind of has that moment where she's like, no, what about Jenny? What about my sister? No one thought about her. And it just like that moment you see the click. And I was like, oh, so amazing. And the next page, her eyes get the skulls in them. She's like, nope, going to the dark side, bitches. And I love it. The realization at the end where we're like, well, now we have no warden. We have no watcher. We can do whatever we want. Which I'm like, holy shit, the apocalypse is coming. That's my first thought. I was like, they're going to create an apocalypse. Gods now can do whatever they want. They have no one telling them no. That's what the lady tells them. That, you know, there's selfish children that are going to destroy mm-hmm. the world. And there's something, was it the ultimate darkness, I think she calls it, or final darkness yeah. or something like that. Four of them have to die to stop that. And they're all going to die in two years anyway. So she just keeps killing most like violent and unpredictable of them mm-hmm. over and over again. And then she's like, hell is being trapped with you children for thousands of years over over and over, over and over and over and over the cycle over and over immortal substitute teacher i love this book i continuously love this book the visual imagery is fantastic for anybody who just even like art in general even if you are not a comic book person fan you should probably check this out if you're a music fan you should check it out here's the way to tell if you're gonna like wicked and divine and you don't really necessarily want to read a bunch of comics there's a music video that was done <laughs> by jamie mckelvey which is fantastic and you should check it out because that is the tone and visual style of wicked and divine pretty much it's churches who he has worked and done posters for them t-shirts for them i have the t-shirt the art it was great the artwork's beautiful i love it you know kieran gillen's writing is also top notch i think matt wilson is probably the second best colorist in Mm -hmm. the business so you're gonna get a really strong book here i especially love the part where she finally rips her uh, apart with those tentacle uh those vine things that she has first of all it's so epically violent when she dies and then they have that reaction shot where it cuts to everyone just covered in like the blood spatter (laughs) what did you just do so two really interesting panels like right next to each other i'm gonna give it four Four and a half. Somebody's wanking over this. I will give it four and a half 
So we okay. are heading over to the Marvel Universe to do some investigation in Spider-Woman number 10, written by Dennis Hopeless, art by Javier Rodriguez and Veronica Fish, colors by Rachel Rosenberg. This issue doesn't Super have the same so. creative team that some previous issues have had, so it's missing to me. It's off just a step, but even so, it's still one of the better books out. Oh, I love it. Well, I figured because it's Carol and Jessica, not exactly fighting until the very end, but you see the roots of their split that's going to happen, I think. Jessica is on a series of pretty amusing little side quests to debunk a bunch of visions that Ulysses is having. Almost made me think of Mythbusters, where they did the confirmed. I like that touch. I thought that was cute. It gave me a Mythbusters vibe, which I always appreciate. So they go little one or two page vignettes where they go to the moon to a swamp monster that lives up there. And then the part that I thought you would really like, where they go with a bunch of werewolves. Like in the underground, they were saying that someone's stealing something's pet. They burst into the the little alien room. He's got all the dead bodies around him of the the skeletons of the pets and stuff. Good classic werewolf action. He was very classic werewolf. Werewolf trope. He had the ripped pants. He was kind of hunched yep. over. He's like the the old wolfman, not the howling. Cheney. Then you had the one that I thought was the most disturbing of them all, which was the, the one under the Iowa State Fair with the pig people that they're experimenting on. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. They even said, this one's going to give you nightmares, is what it said. The pig one was horrifying with their injecting them with butter. I did not like that. Why are they pumping them full of butter? <laughs> <laughs> well, so this one might be a nightmare, not a vision. They're not really sure. It turns out to be true. So there's all these butter-fed pig people that are being surgically altered and, and stuff. So that's so. Then their final one that they go to is they're talking about. You know, they went to like 19 of these and they've all proven true. So there's only one more to investigate. And the vision is that there's somebody who has Tetris powers. They can rip apart matter and form it into these cubes and stack them. And the person lost control of their powers and killed their husband. So they arrive at the place and there's this little old lady who likely sits them down to have tea. And everything's fine. She hasn't lost control of her powers. Her husband's not dead. Seems like everything is fine. So they're talking about she and Ben kind of have a little debate about whether, you know, 19 out of 20 is good enough. You know, 95% is pretty damn accurate. But then they talk about seems that way, but preventive justice is worrisome. And if you're right 95% of the time, 5% of the time, you know, you're going to be arresting innocent people. So that's probably not good enough, at least in Jessica's mind. And that's when in the background the vision that Ulysses saw starts happening. The old lady starts uh, ripping the house apart, kind of like, almost like Minecraft or Legos or something like that, where she's stacking them together. It really reminded me actually of the thing she built of Cubert, if you remember the old... She defrags stuff is what it looks like. So they do a nice little panel of motion in yes, one panel. I thought you'd like that. Yes, where she's flipping through the panel and saving everyone. I'm just a sucker for that. That is literally my favorite thing in comics. I love it. Ben, he saves someone too. Yeah, Ben, you know, even though he doesn't have any superpowers, he still saves someone. He and Jessica talk about that. Ben is may not have superpowers, but he's, he's pretty super. He's the best. So that was kind of cool. And then my actual favorite part of the book, which I, I think you may have liked this too, just judging from what I, I know of your thoughts. So they're at the bar. She's a girl after my own heart, double whiskey over rocks. Getting some drinks. She's calling carol to talk to her about what's happened so she's not really paying attention to the tv which she probably should be and carol is basically trying to tell her something that this isn't a good time to talk and there's these great panels where you see like the distress on carol's face where she's trying to tell jessica what's happened to bruce banner and there's a moment where she's talking to her on a cell phone and she looks up at the tv screen to see the whole thing about bruce banner being dead and she sees carol kind of standing in the background talking on the phone because it's a live shot Mm -hmm. right and there's this great thing where she kind of throws the phone and storms out of the building 
So I thought that was a really interesting way to show kind of the collapse of, of a friendship, a friendship that they've done, have made a really big deal of developing. I love this issue. At first, I was getting irritated. I'm like, oh my God, they're making Carol be right. Rah. I really identify with Jessica. She basically said, embody almost for, verbatim how I feel fundamentally wrong with how Carol acts. It's the line where she's like, but I know Carol Danvers pretty well. The kid seems 100% accurate. She won't be able to help herself like a dog with a bone that one it's that line she yep. won't be able to help herself that's the whole thing she can't stop she's just so pushy and that's like the thing and so i thought i really identify with jessica i, I really feel like she's trying to do what's right and she was right i don't want to give her this power because there's also a line a few panels after that going preventative is great but going after people who haven't done anything yet is wrong she basically summed up the whole issue was what's going on i think it's really interesting to see how jessica is perceiving the whole civil war thing like she seems to really get it the tension the buildup. you know ben's trying to get her attention going no no you hear this at the same time Carol is sitting there trying to say something and just her eyes and her like reaction. This is an example of where you can be right 20 times out of 20 mm -hmm. and something bad will still happen. Going like you couldn't wait. You couldn't you asked me to do this and you didn't wait. I think that's also part of Jessica's kind of like she's almost insulting like you trusted me to dig in for this for you and I did it for you and I didn't want to get involved and you didn't wait and look what happened kind of thing you know. There's two things with the art that I really enjoy with this book, um, and these aren't new things, is the face acting in this book, the expressions on their face when they're having kind of quiet moments are spectacular. The way that they draw Carol and Jessica just talking to each other is so expressive. And the way they choose to frame parts of those conversations where they go really wide to really, really narrow, mm -hmm. you know, where they go from like a whole bar down to like just an yeah. eye in a, in a panel, that's very effective. And then the way that they have Jessica move through, move through space, not just her moving through in one panel being in like 16 different positions doing backflips and kicks and all of that to convey that rapid motion. But like when she's walking through the bar, I get a real sense of depth. Like everyone else is a background character mm -hmm. and she's moving through the scene, you know, like if it was a play, everyone would be pushed further back yeah. than her. Or if you were doing it in film also, they do a really good job with that kind of stuff. I will give it four doubles on the rocks. I gave this five, like dog with a bone, that one. I couldn't identify more with Jessica. I mean, her being the mom thing really got to me, but just this interaction with Carol and the like betrayal and the just the thing where you're so angry, but that's your friend. I just, that whole end was just beautifully done. I just loved it. I recommend people read it. Well, the way that Dennis Hopeless writes her is such a relatable and believable character. Yeah. And the friendship that they built between Carol and Jessica is very real. They both know the other's faults and they don't overlook them, but they accept yeah. them, you know, up to a point where they have to do something about it. Yeah. With Carol, all the things that make her stubborn, pig-headed, like a dog with a bone, those are the things that also help her be a hero that she will not give up. Like I was saying, like previously, and I think in another review, when Jessica is trapped in that hospital that they're in, that's being taken over by the scrolls, there's nothing, you know, under God's earth that is going to stop her from getting into there. If she has to rip space apart itself to do it, she's mm -hmm. going to do it. So she has like this unstoppable will that can be really good or really bad, depending on what you bend it for. I liked it. I gave it four for the next one. Still dealing with the death of Bruce Banner. Uh, that's why I couldn't pass this one up. The following number one, Marvel Comics, written by Greg Pak, pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Scott Hanna and Mark Deering, colors by Ian Herring and Rob Swagger. 
so yes, exactly. This is dealing with the fall of Ruth Banner. I love Joe, so <laughs> that's part of it. By the same guy who writes a totally awesome Hulk. I want to see what the rest of the universe feels about what happened. So it starts off in Cleveland at Bruce's funeral, and it opens up with a, basically a bunch of protesters, like what you would expect nowadays that Westboro does. There's a small group of heroes, I should say, at the funeral. So like Tony, Carol, Daredevil, The Thing, Silver Surfer, Deadpool. Deadpool's yeah in the background, Captain America, and then some people from what's that? What's that Planet, Planet Hulk, Hulk? Which I'm not very familiar with. They oh. do play a part in this, yes. Planet Hulk is one of the best Hulk stories ever written. His ex wife, so Betty's there, right? So they're talking and Tony is giving some insight about Bruce likes to think and he would always have this insight from that thinking and that really meant a lot to him. Thing talks about him being stronger than him. Steven talks about him being able to live with a curse and him knowing things about curses. And there's all these nice little things and then they do this, they laugh about a small joke, you know, trying to lighten the mood. But these people are starting to break through, like they're breaking the police lines into the funeral, badgering everyone and things like that. Eventually, Silver Surfer intervenes. Throwing bottles at people and... Hits someone in the head. It's not pretty. And eventually, Silver Surfer calms them down and to get them to go away. He can't take it away, but he can at least get rid of it for the day. His cosmic power. And then Betty basically asks them to keep an eye on all the... Check in on all the Hulks. Saying, check in on his son and then she'll check in on her dad and someone needs to check in with Cho. So I thought the scene with her and her dad was really interesting because even at the end, he does pay a little respect to Bruce Banner, the Mm -hmm. man, but when it comes to the Hulk, he is completely still unapologetic that he is basically glad that he's dead. And then he's like telling Betty, you know, I know why you're here. It's not to hear me say that I'm sorry about the Hulk because you know that's never going to happen, but you're up to something and you want me to help you. I have the ability. This one is with his son and he's coming back in from hunting. He's going to trade in some pelt. That has to be the worst way to find out that your dad's dead. He just happens to see the news on TV, especially the way the news has been spinning it. And did you see the little thing that goes under in, in French? Yeah, the death of a monster. It's a horrible way. So he rightfully starts to freak out, and then the troop from Planet Hulk comes and finds him, and they kind of do their little ritual and things like like a name thing. If you have read Planet Hulk, to me, this was the best part of the book. Because like Planet Hulk is one of my favorite, not only Hulk stories, but probably stories of all time. And to see these characters come back, and to still hold true to their blood bond that they have. Well, they do, and I really like that in the flashback scenes, they kind of make it like more aged, the, the drawing, so it looks like an older comic. So I thought that was really neat. So then the group that was trying to follow Rick, who was trying to follow Cho, they're like out in the middle of nowhere, and they have like big guns and stuff. Like when she tries to ask him if he's the Punisher. <laughs> yeah. They don't find him. Uh, Matt Murdock is his lawyer, and they gather them all for basically the reading of a will, which is but ends up being like a video diary will hologram. And he says it's the other part that was shown in the trial that talked about the actual arrowhead. That this is the second half, which they didn't show to the public because it's just meant for the people in the room. I understand the other parts are all touching feeling and they go back to other comics and those are really interesting. I have this weird fascination of what people choose to leave behind and to who and for what. They're very thoughtful what what he leaves each of them. I find that really interesting. It's the thing the person chooses to be their last action or words to you that they thought about in advance. There's something about that that's very poignant. I just find it really interesting. 
get money. Some he leaves some of the company to Cho and to Betty. Yeah, he makes them the head of the foundation, his like charity thing. He gives all the other ones beneficiaries to the the foundation that pays for money when the Hulk destroys stuff, and that's another percentage. Thing for Tony was he reconciled this math science problem that he. Something about teleporting to the negative zone slip. The multidimensional thing. It was a problem that I guess he, Tony mentioned to him. And so he solved it for him. And it's like, it's weird. So you solve this problem, but you wait till after you die to let him know about it. What's the significance that you had that you waited? Like, why didn't you give to him before? You know, I thought it was interesting, too, that what Tony mentioned as the, the defining thing about their friendship. Mm-hmm. And that's how Bruce chose to define their friendship at the end. Was his thinking. And then the other one then was... Steven is that he admits to something about him as the Hulk. The Hulk can see ghosts. Yeah, which is a little known fact of one of the Hulk's superpowers. Yeah. I was actually watching like a YouTube video a couple months ago where mm-hmm. it was like powers that you don't realize that other superheroes have mm-hmm. and the ability to see ghosts is one of Hulk's abilities, which makes like no damn sense, you know, but whatever. Ghosts are made of gamma. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But now Steven has all this research that, you know, thoughtful problem solving Bruce thought of. So that could lead to a whole other like plot arc or something you know if he has something to run with that i'd be curious to see if that comes up again later on in a doctor strange comic maybe he can find dead magic with it oh maybe oh Ghost can find some magic then like the Jimi hendrix guitar that he gave to rick he was like oh the reverse engineered um, starship that he gave to korg no name and his son scar i think it's eloe or eloe and then the final one which was like oh everyone got a kitchen that was timer. pretty cool so i thought was part of probably the coolest part he talks about how he tried all these different anger management techniques and all these different things and nothing ever really worked except for this one thing and that was this kitchen timer is to wait can't be 24 hours because that didn't work it has to be a short amount of time but a set time before you act and it's very important as the hulk that he did that and it had this really great story of him explaining that he ends with like you know him saying he loves them so it was really touching and then it goes through hours later going through everyone and how they are interacting with that news and with that clock in particular thought maybe you would think the shulky part was kind of sad it's a really good way to show character because the whole thing with this timer mm-hmm. is you can't do anything else while the timer is going like you can't set it and you know go make a sandwich or whatever mm-hmm. you have to sit there and think about things and those moments of quiet yeah. introspection can be really you know yeah. pretty powerful so you get you know she hulk is crying and then the war bond is is sitting there and then like a deer and like some birds come out to maybe show them like you know the world mm-hmm. is you know still has life in it and is worth living rick picks up the musical notes from it mm-hmm. and starts playing the guitar tick 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 going through all the different panels but what did show do show just slams the box down and this just ends with sorry banner and he jumps off as the Hulk. Doesn't even open it. Doesn't even open it. And you're just like, yeah. His best friend, his mentor, yeah. you know, the person he looked up to. And I think he's, I think he's had it with Carol. I'm just like, I can't wait. I don't know if you read The Accused from before. That was not so great. Yeah. This was pretty damn great. I really want to know more about what's going on with the Hulk. And just, I had to pick it. And I'm glad I did. I really liked it. It really, I think it gives a lot to the story. This probably was my second runner up for pick of the week. This was oh. very good. Well, thank you. I didn't pick it. I know. But still, it's, not- still, it's a compliment. I'll take it. But I still, I mean, I probably would have picked Spider-Man. I gave it four and a half kitchen timers. Oh, you took my kitchen timers. That's exactly what I was going to use. It's very poignant to the story. <laughs> I will give it four and a half tick 
tick, tick. We're off to Fairyland. I like this one. The weirdly cartoony and violent corner of Image. To me, it's still fuck Fairyland. So fuck Fairyland. Issue number eight, Image Comics, written by Scott Young, art by Scott Young, colors by Jean Francis Bilou. I know not everyone is still on board with this. I will still always love this. And I kind of had a realization today as to why I love this so much. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I love Wreck-It Ralph. And to me, Gertie is Vanellope von Schweetz from Wreck-It Ralph. And I read it in her voice. Yes. Obviously, this is not a Disney movie. Not at all. No. (laughs) It's a very weird mixture of really sweet and poisonous. This one is encompasses so many weird, awesome things that I love, including video games. Oh my god, I love that. Gertie is trying to still get out of Fairyland. She's making a deal with a seer for a gold coin that if she gives this gold coin, she gets to play a game, which we see, and potentially get a code to get out. So she trades the seer some eyeballs that she had, gets the coin, and I love the journey that they take now to get to the Tower of Battle. Poor little kid in his dragon pajamas. Reminds me of the kid from like where the wild things are. <laughs> but just gone horribly wrong. Duncan, yeah. So they get to the Tower of Battle, she gets her quarter into the coin slot and immediately becomes pixelated and goes to basically another world that looks entirely different. But when she gets to Battle Tower, oh my god. (laughs) With all the video games? Yes. Oh, it was amazing. First of all, the stylization for how she looks alone, I loved. She gets all super like video game anime looking, which I thought was awesome looking. Her goal now is she has to fight all these characters from this giant I guess like a mob boss cat. I love that and I didn't even notice this until a little bit ago that his minions beside him are these like crazy red eye looking rats. I was like oh that's creepy as fuck. I love the cat boss. So he puts her up to fighting all of these creatures. The first one I love is Glam Bam which is like this horrible Looks like he should be in Motley Crue or Poison or something like that. Yes exactly exactly. Just beats the shit out of him. Now she gets to fight all these other random characters which we don't get to really see except for the punching and kicking and the combos and the hits and all of those really like reminded me a lot of scott pilgrim actually in those fight scenes this was like very like getting sucked in the video game i was thinking like tron and then like scott pilgrim though her getting rid of the dragon i thought that was pretty messed up did that little kid in his uh dragon costume with the coin remind you of yoshi a lot from super mario brothers yes oh the little dragon i like where he's like you and me gert we're on team you know get home and she's like uh i'm on team i give zero fluffs about you i don't know what team you're on yes <laughs> i'm like i'm getting out i don't care what happens to you you're just like oh that's <laughs> not right gert Gert's- but it's Gert, so you can't really you know what were you expecting yeah So she beats, like, all of these massive characters, and then now the fat cat's like, okay, now it's time to bring in the boss. Which I love the little bunny carriage drawn thing where it's like, that's a very anime, like, hi, I'm here to bring you your next battle. I love it's the very sweet, cute, pretty, pretty princess. And she's like, ha ha, this is the boss. And then freaking she rips off her dress, and it's like the- It's like Chun-Li is what she- Exactly! Oh, so good. And she's like, oh, I'm flipped. (laughs) She and Gertie fight, and Gert gets her ass kicked. And she's like, that was awesome! Yeah, it was brutal. Yes. She's like, oh my goodness! (laughs) Fancy fatality! Yeah. 
she loses, and so no code for Gertie. Gertie gets kicked back. Dragon Boy gets kept by Fat Cat. No code for her. I feel like the story has kind of lost its focus a little bit. I mean, it's still awesome little vignettes. There's one overall factor is, like, she's going to try to get home, but it's just going to be all these crazy adventures to get there that are kind of don't tie in and don't make sense. I think it's really, this is just a goal of Scotty Young to get as many weird characters as he's ever had in his head out on the page. Very creative and disturbing. (laughs) And those all came out of his head in some crazy weird way, which I love. I will give it four pretty, pretty princesses. I will give it three Team Zero fluffs about you. I gave it three and three quarters Spandex McTeased hair. (laughs) So we are going over for more Rebirth in DC. This is one of our last Rebirth books. We're getting towards the end. So this is Supergirl Rebirth number one from DC Comics, written by Steve Orlando, pencils by Emmanuel Lupacino, inks by Ray McCarthy, colors by Michael Atea. So this one is kind of the story of Supergirl has been depowered on Earth and they're trying to restore her power. So they're basically going to shoot her into the sun because, you know, they absorb like solar power and that should give her powers back. They build this like spaceship thing and send her off into space to do this. And there's a lot of stuff about, you know, her cover identity and the people who are her fake parents and and all of that. But which kind of contrasts with flashbacks to back on it's not krypton it's like a a colony of krypton it's argo city where her actual parents are like exiling this person to the phantom zone which later comes in handy so they're using a phantom drive to shoot her into the sun which rips a hole in the phantom zone and this guy who has red kryptonite poisoning comes through and he sees the moon and that's when he turns into a kryptonian werewolf yes (laughs) so what do you think it is werewolf kryptonian werewolf that's all that needs to say about this issue i was not expecting to see supergirl fight a werewolf i'll tell you that much (laughs) I like how he's drawn. He has very curly, wavy, luxurious fur. <laughs> luxurious, luxurious locks. So he gets kind of like more Skeletor werewolf face sometimes on some panels. I thought that was really interesting. Talking in Kryptonian and they don't understand him at first. Except for the ones where like, I don't speak Kryptonian, but my daughter does. Right, like I know you're speaking that language. I just don't know yeah. what you're saying. I like he looks like a werewolf, but you can tell he's like mixed with like a Kryptonian wolf, not a Earth wolf. So he yeah. does look a little different. So that was cool. That's the only thing really that I really remember the book that's like the best part the rest of it's just kind of like there's a pretty great shot of her coming out of her spacecraft with the sun that's a pretty epic poster it was just kind of super girl superman dcs face punching and what's who's my real family and you know all that good stuff this is my alternate identity look at my cool glasses yeah i mean this seems very much like the tv show yeah I mean, it's not exactly the TV show, but very clearly a strong influence on the episode. So this is a job for Supergirl, apparently, because there is, I think it's her father who is in this like crashed city where they like uncover uh, like a capsule that he's in and they reawaken him as like a cyborg. That part was kind of neat. Because originally she starts talking to Werewolf and, and then he finds out that she's the daughter of the one who put him out into the Phantom Zone. So then it makes him all werewolfy rage and he gets mad again. But they talk it out and basically she 
knocks him to a hospital bed. Then he starts to recover, but Kryptonian werewolf dude doesn't die. So, bonus. So hopefully that means there's more Kryptonian werewolves in the future. <laughs> Team up. Come on, DC! Kryptonian werewolf! I, that's, a, that's a super I can get behind. <laughs> she does look pretty cool. I mean, I wish they had actually made her skirt a little longer. I get, you know, that's what Supergirl is supposed to look like, and it's supposed to be like a schoolgirl skirt, basically, and give her some, you know, not so cheesecakey. I would have liked a little bit, I think, if you're going to redesign. But whatever, I can't complain too much. There are some scenes of her flying out of exploding spaceships and suns that look pretty awesome. If you have never read a Supergirl comic, this is a decent one. If you like the TV show, this is probably a good introduction. If you just like super family stuff in general, you'll probably like this one too. I know you like the werewolves. It's not the greatest book in the world. It's not the worst. It's kind of middle of the road, Mm -hmm. I think, in my opinion. Give it a nice even range. I'll give it a three Kryptonian werewolf. You know you can't take that one. That's the only thing I have to say That's why I gave it to you first. I knew you were going to take Kryptonian werewolves. There was, I will give it two and a half exploding spaceships. Did you kept saying this. That's in the part you like. I think she's ripping her way out of the spaceship because her powers are coming back and she can hear what's happening back on Earth. So she needs to get there quickly. And there's a, you know, really awesome shot of her in front of the sun. It's, you know, that could go up on a poster. If you, you know, had a daughter who likes superheroes, that would probably be up on her wall. So those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter and at Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds. (laughs) 